to the Colby Daniels Podcast, presented by Artisan Botanicals in Midwest City. Check out their line of natural medicine products, including Kratom, CBD, and Delta 8. They are committed to helping you live a better life. So if you have any questions whatsoever, it's all about educating yourself on these products and their benefits. Give them a call, 405-458-9699, or... When you order online, we can save you 15%. Abotanicalcompany.com, discount code ColbyShow at checkout, C-O-L-B-Y-S-H-O-W, discount code ColbyShow for 15% off your order when you order online, abotanicalcompany.com. All right, our weekly Wednesday guest is Aaron Davis. Aaron Davis, what's happening on this Wednesday? Not much, just... uh... Trying to figure out what to do with my day. I, you know, yesterday was the first day that we didn't have, you know, any basketball games. So I, I really gotten into the groove, like, of watching a March Madness, like, all day for the past four days. So, you know, to go through a day and just think, there's literally, I mean, I could watch some NBA games, but I don't think I'll take a break from sports before the yeah. tournament kicks back up on Friday. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm doing good. I, uh, I'll be honest, I've. Sports have been a tough stretch for me for the past, like, I guess three months since the Super Bowl. Like, I've just had a really hard time getting into the NBA. I've pretty, pretty, uh, you know, open about not liking college basketball. But March Madness has sparked my love for sports uh, right now. I'm, uh, I'm fully invested. I'm watching as almost every, every second of every game, as, or as much as I can, because there's obviously multiple games on at a time this past yeah. weekend. But like, I've, I spent quite a bit of time watching the tournament and. Really enjoying it. It's, uh, I don't know. 2020 was so weird that it was tough for me to enjoy sports at the same level that I did before the pandemic, but I think I'm getting back there. So I'm just, uh, I'm getting a little, little impatient for, uh, sweet 16 right now. Yeah, no, I, I definitely get that. And I think for a lot of people, there was that long absence without sports at all. And so when they first came back, I think everybody just like, completely went all in and gravitated. Yeah, and then sure. we had everything going on at the same time. And I have a bunch of friends that are, are sports fans, certainly not to the level that you and I are, but still big sports fans. And like three months, two, three months into sports coming back, they were like burnt out because we had literally all the sports happening at once. And uh, I, I'm sure in some way that has an impact, but you're right about it. the NCAA tournament has just been exceptional the drama has been there. We've had great games. We've had the Cinderella stories. The teams come out of nowhere. We still have some number ones in this thing. I mean, it's the perfect combination of good teams advancing, upsets, Cinderella stories. And, uh, yeah, I, I don't think you could have asked for a better opening two rounds, better opening four days. Right. It And, I look, I've, as many games as I watched over the first two rounds, I, I, I'm sitting there on – it was probably – Sunday, like the middle of the day, Sunday, and I'm like, oh yeah, I remember why I don't like watching college basketball before the tournament because it's it's insanely frustrating yeah. between the you know teams just not being able to create space, like the amount of teams that I watch that cannot create space, which is what makes Gonzaga like I don't know how anybody's gonna be Gonzaga because they're so good at creating space and running, you know, sh- scoring really. They they score and they talked about it during the game. They kind of run an NBA style mm-hmm. offense at least as far as like the spacing and everything goes. But that between that, so many possessions where I'm just like, what do you, and it was really adamant for me. Like the Oklahoma state game against Oregon state down yeah. the stretch, just the, I don't understand like the goal of the offense. 
I don't, I, it just, it seems so discombobulated and like a lot of guys like hesitating on open shots or like, you know, not making that extra pass, just like simple things that because I've watched so much NBA that I guess I've just become accustomed to because either, you know, you don't see that, you know, cause there's so much ISO or, you know, the guys just know what to do at that level. But between that and then the refs, the refs drive me crazy. Like, Oh yeah. You don't need to call a charge every other time down the court. Like there shouldn't be, there's no reason at any level of basketball that you should be calling five or six charges in one game. Cause yeah. it just doesn't happen. You're not getting that many charge charging fouls in a game. To me, it's not I, even I, just the I, charges. I it's saying. just like the nine, whistles in general. Like everything. How there everything. have been a few they games. Call the whistle, yeah. There've been a few games that I think have been completely dictated by the officials. And I'm not saying that one side was cheated or, or anything like that. Cause I don't think that's been the case. I haven't watched a game where I felt like one team benefited from the whistle and the other team got completely screwed over. I'm talking about in terms of allowing both teams to get into a flow, to get into a rhythm, to let the game breathe instead of having a dead ball every 35 seconds on the game clock. Like that Oklahoma state Oregon state game was incredibly frustrating from that standpoint. I mean, like if we ever had a situation where there were back-to-back possessions without a a whistle, I was shocked. I mean, that game was so frustrating to watch because it was just stoppages the entire way. And look, you're, you're playing for your season. I, I think I, I would rather see more contact and, you know, maybe it's a sloppier game, but I would rather see that in a game where your season is on the line than whistles and everybody in foul trouble and 50-something free throw shot or 60 right. or if, whatever the number ended up being. If you want to, you know, if you want to keep your whistle in your mouth and blow it every 30 seconds in a game in December, who cares? Like, I'll whatever, do that. But in a tournament game, when it's do or die for every team, I almost said so many teams, but it's literally every team's do or die. Yeah. You, you lose and you go home. But, like, I just I don't get it. We talked about that national championship game uh, a few years ago on the podcast last week. Yeah. Just, like, they just – the college basketball rest for whatever reason. I, I, I don't know. Like, they have to – I feel like they have to control the game to, like, the smallest percent and instead, of, instead of just letting them play. Like you said, just, like – Sure, there might be more contact, and it's it's so frustrating. Like I'm getting annoyed just talking about it. It's you can, like you said, there's no flow of the offense. You can't like these dudes can't defend the basket half the time because they're gonna get called for a foul if they touch anybody. And then there's a lot of situations. I mean, Jalen Suggs was elbowing everybody in that OU game and not getting called. So like, and the uh, the Texas game. Uh, I don't remember which Texas player it was, but just, I mean, he took an elbow straight to the face and he had to leave the game late in the game. And yeah, that game frustrated me too. Like I, it was fun watching uh, Abilene win, beat Texas, but I, I, I don't want to see a game end on free throws. No, I'm, I'm with you there. Absolutely. How many NBA games have we, have you watched that you watched the last one and a half seconds and a team won the game on free throws? Yeah. I was, yeah, it, it was it was a conflicting thing there because I obviously had Texas in the Final Four, but I found myself rooting for Abilene Christian to pull off the upset. Oh, yeah, especially against and Texas. And then f- having, like, mixed feelings about, uh, well, it had nothing to do with Texas as much as just, you know, pull off the upset. Like, let's yeah. let's get weird. It's good TV. Um, yeah. And then, I you know, then the fouls called, and I'm like, okay, well, I kind of wanted Abilene Christian to win, but... I don't that really way. want them to win yeah. like this. Like, ugh. Right. Just kind of. I mean, shout I out. 
Shout out to the guy for making the free throws. You still got to go make them, but still, it's just, you just don't want to see a game end on free throws. Yeah. I have a theory on uh, on the officiating and and why there's so many whistles. Why so that? we've talked about this. There are there there is a lack of star power in college basketball, right? For sure. And yeah. now guys like Cade Cunningham and uh, Luca Garza and some of the best players in college basketball are uh, are no longer in the tournament. But college basketball is also a sport where the stars are the head coaches, and the biggest stars in the sport are. Coach K and John Calipari and Bill Self and Roy Williams oh, and Tom Izzo. And none of these guys are in the big dance right now. So the officials see an opportunity here, Aaron. They see an opening. There's a light at the end of the tunnel. They've decided to seize the day, take this opportunity to shine on the big stage, blow your whistle, call fouls frequently, and maybe, just maybe, for the first time in NCAA tournament history, we'll have a one shining moment that is nothing but wild officiating calls. <laughs> that would be awesome. I, you know what? Somebody at the end of the tournament, somebody needs to make. Even if you know CBS does it. If CBS does it, uh, I'm. I don't know what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna lose my mind. But somebody on YouTube or Twitter at least needs to make a one shining moment of nothing but refs yeah. blowing their calling charging fouls. Yeah. Why are charging fouls, by the way, like so much more emphatic than just a normal foul? Like they they make it a point to be so much more vibrant when they call it than just a, a normal foul. I think it's because the the ref blows his whistle and he's like, "Oh shit, I don't know what that was." Charge! If I if I it's just if I just if I really throw my hands out there, just yeah, real physical about yeah. it. Everybody's like, "Oh, that was definitely a charge." You could tell he's fired up by that by that charge. Like he's fired up that that kid took that charge. But yeah. in reality, like I would assume, ninety five percent of the time, the refs like, uh, I don't know. Yeah, because it's close. Like every block and charge is like a split second thing. Yeah. So, yeah, it's just he's just trying to convince everybody that he actually knows what the right call is. I I'll never forget when we, when I was in high school, there was this official. And and every you'd get him every once in a while, and every, like everybody knew who the guy was. And I, I I can't remember his name, but he was like every time he blew the whistle and made a call, it was literally like he was performing for television cameras. Or, I mean, it was just like so absurdly over the top that it was like comical. The good thing was though, I nobody ever thought he was like a bad ref. Like nobody ever felt like the calls he was actually making were bad calls or that he was just making calls for the sake of putting on the show. The show just kind of came with the calls that happened. So anytime there right. was a call, it was like, I mean, just the wildest, you know, arms all over the place, just so energetic uh, that like it was, it was amusing to watch without a doubt, but he didn't dictate the game. And uh, I, that that's, that's the difference. I, I you know, I, I think we see these emphatic calls, but sometimes it kind of feels like, Oh, they're hundred percent dictating. It's, the game. Yeah, it's it's uh, more about just blowing the whistle and having that opportunity than when the whistle is blown, taking the opportunity to to put on a show somewhat. But yeah, I, I remember playing uh, in a summer league baseball game in high school, and uh, the home plate umpire, his strike call was the most <laughs> it was the most obnoxious, exaggerated strike call I've ever heard in my life. And there's been 
I mean, if you play baseball oh, yeah. at any level, there are some umpires that get take some liberty with their strike calls uh, performances, but. Like, he would still be in his strike call from the previous pitch, and the next pitch would be halfway <laughs> to the plate. Yes. And, and I swear, like, the game probably took an hour longer than it needed to, just waiting on him to make finish his strike calls. It was, I, I don't know if uh, he would have done that during, uh, you know, like, actual, like, high school season, like, the season, but, yeah. like, during the summer, he's just like, you know what, summer baseball. I'm just, uh, uh, it was it was most. Could you imagine a football ref like being as animated as uh, umpires or basketball refs get with their calls? No. Yeah, it's <laughs> no encroachment. Yeah. Defense. Who grows root? I I do appreciate a good you know strike three ring up. Oh yeah. Okay, strike three. Of but, course, because yeah. you got the time, the milk. The batter's gonna walk off. The next batter's gonna come up to the box. Right. These are like strike two, strike one, strike two calls, and he's like his calls lasting ten seconds. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. It was silly. I remember umpires I need, just grunting at it. Like I, I remember specifically an umpire that literally made the same grunt at every pitch. Oh, 100%. and you you had no idea. Yeah, if it was I, a strike was, or a ball yeah. or like literally every pitch was like. Hurr. You're like, uh, count. I. What's count? What, what are we doing here? I don't. I don't even know. It was. Yeah. What do we call that? Yeah, I had a. I had a couple of those. I like after every pitch, I'm like, oh, what's count? Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which is also uh, annoying because then it's just like I don't want to have to ask constantly. Right. Right. Yeah. My senior year, we didn't. Uh, my we got a new field my senior year, and it didn't have a scoreboard. So like literally, there were a couple of games where I'm just like, I don't have any no idea what the count is right now. Yeah, just not you know probably not a good thing for baseball yeah. to be batting and not know the count, but yeah, yeah, but to be over the top on every pitch, yeah, that's uh, that's similar to the basketball thing. Like, calm down, um, man. It's not your show. But yeah, as much as I, you know, bitch about the refs and get frustrated with the uh, the flow of the game, it's been exciting, man. There's been a lot of uh, I feel like there's been a lot of good games. Like through two rounds, I mean, how many games are played in the first two rounds? Like close to 80, 70, something like that. 32? 50. 50, right? 32? Between the first oh, two rounds? Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. 32 and then 16, so uh, 48. 48. Yeah, okay. Yeah. 70 was way off. Okay, 48. <laughs> but uh, um, I was thinking first two days, but yeah, first two rounds, yeah. The first two rounds, I mean, there's really only been, what, like five or six blowouts? Yeah, there hadn't been a bunch. I mean, it's most most of the games have been good games in the final minutes. Yeah, unfortunately, it seems like most of them came from the Big Twelve in the second round. Oh, but dude, they started six and zero, and then from the point that Texas lost to Abilene Christian, the Big Twelve's gone one and six from that game on. It, the Big Twelve has literally turned into that 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 screenshot from the Fresh Prince of Bel Air's last episode, where Will's just yeah. standing in the living yeah. empty living room, and yeah. I had Baylor in the national championship game, so you know my my hopes are still alive with Baylor to get to the title game for me. But um, yeah, just like I don't know, like it seemed like the Big Twelve was the best conference all year. I agree, especially with you know Duke and North Carolina not being very good and Kentucky not being very good. Like you had those blue bloods not caring to some of those conferences that the Big Twelve just, especially with Kansas and Oklahoma State getting hot down the stretch, like. 
to not only have one team in the Sweet 16 seems insane to me. Yeah, absolutely agree. And I thought it was the Big 12 first, and I thought the Big 10 was was clearly second. And the fact that those two teams put the most, or those two conferences put the most teams in the tournament, and both conferences only advance one team to the Sweet 16 is absolutely bananas. And they're both one seeds. Yeah. The yeah. two one seeds from the, yeah. It's insane. And the, meanwhile, the Pac-12 is getting, like, they have the, every almost every team that they got in the tournament is in the Sweet 16. I'm trying to think who, yeah, what USC team lost. Yeah, USC made it, Oregon made it, uh, Colorado. UCLA made it. Colorado was the Color- one that yeah, had, got eliminated. Yeah. But still, I mean, they they didn't get embarrassed. Right. By any means. I, well, yeah, the round two game was a little iffy, but uh, yeah. Well, I was in the I was in the Sweet Sixteen, right? No, they lost, they to, lost Oregon. to Oregon. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Oregon destroyed them. Yeah, yeah. The Big that's Ten crazy. lost. The Big Ten had two two seeds get knocked out: Iowa and Ohio State. The Big Twelve had three threes get knocked out with Kansas, West Virginia, and uh, Texas. Texas, yeah. And then and Oklahoma then, State oh. was a four. Oklahoma was a an eight. Yeah, I mean that was you know they were expected to lose. To well, Gonzaga, nobody. Yeah, but, they weren't yeah. going to beat Gonzaga, right? Yeah. Austin Reeves though, man, that dude. Uh, dude, what a game! Uh, the fact that he didn't take twenty five shots in that game, I like. That's another thing that bothers me about college basketball is there just seems to be like a kind of like a hesitation by so many coaches to just go with the hot hand for a game. Because it's a team-oriented game, you want to run your system, you want to run your offense. But Austin Reeves was uh, by far the only dude that was like doing anything against Gonzaga. Like, yeah. if you want to win that game, he needs to take twenty-five shots. Yeah, not fourteen or whatever he took. Yeah, I, well, part of that I think was foul trouble. He had to sit a couple sure. times because of fouls, and then sure. part of that I think is just stamina, somewhat. I mean, you can only do so much, and he was. He was all over the place when he was in the game. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was, I, uh, it kind of felt like a one man show at times. So I don't know how much was in the gas tank, but he, pl- he played his heart out. Should, and that was a game yeah. that at halftime, I mean, I, I think, what was the lead? Do you remember? It was like 14, uh, it was double digits. Yeah. It was double digits. 12 or something but like that. But even at, with a double digit lead, like I was sitting there at halftime thinking, I mean, if you're OU, you have to feel good about the way you played for the most part. I mean, it's not like OU played bad. Gonzaga's just a really, really good team. Uh, I, I thought Oklahoma did all the things they needed to do for the most part in that first Jimmy's half. Just, and yeah. The bottom line is they just lost to a team that's considerably better than they are. They lost to the best team in college basketball. So I, I don't that, – that wasn't a game where I just felt like Oklahoma was terrible and, and just, you know, certainly there were things they could have done better, but – but all in all, I thought they gave a terrific effort, and the bottom line is Gonzaga's just the best team in the country. Yeah, I mean, they just – Oklahoma didn't have an answer for uh, for Akeem Timmy down in the post. Like, Timmy. Yeah, it's – you know, and Brady Manning just couldn't hit his shot. It's Yeah, it was a tough game. But, I, I, you know, you're right. Like, the, they're foul trouble with, uh, with Reeves and, you know, potentially stamina issues. But, I mean, I don't know. I still just kind of think that – He's got to shoot until he shows that, like, he just has nothing. Like, he just, he's not, yeah. he doesn't have it at that point in the game. But and not that it necessarily would have made the difference in them winning. Like, they still had to overcome a right. great team. And Reese would have had to have a, you know, LeBron James esque performance or something like that or an AI. But yeah, I mean, he was, yeah, he was phenomenal. And, um, 
yeah, it's how I was a lot more impressed with their performance in Oklahoma State. So I thought Oklahoma State is, was a little more disappointing, I guess, because I you know anticipated Oklahoma State winning that game against Oregon State. Yeah. And they, you know, getting it to two and then just like, you know, fighting back too, and to get it to a one score game and then just it slipping away. And that was, it was brutal. It was tough to watch. Yeah. The, good, the shot selection, the-, the missed free throws. Uh, I mean, weird, weird offense for stretches, uh, open shots at the end that just didn't fall, oh, uh, getting yeah. completely dominated on the boards. Yeah, it was. That was another game where, like, I, I think it's a combination. Of, uh, well, on that one, Oregon State played a heck of a game. You got to give them a lot of credit. Um, and unlike the OU game, I, I think there was significantly more that Oklahoma State could have done in that game that sure absolutely. could have changed the outcome. So, uh, but but I do think yeah. Oregon State also like you have to give them a lot of credit for how well they played because they they did do their part in making yeah. it difficult on Oklahoma State and and, and you know. As far as the rebound thing, like that, I don't know that that change. If I mean, if those teams play ten times, I don't know how drastically the rebound situation changes because Oregon State was clearly the bigger, more physical team. So, yeah, there, if there was one possession in that game that kind of like that has stuck in my mind, and it doesn't completely like paint the picture for you know Oklahoma State's performance in that game because there were there was stretches where they played well, like they fought back from down double digits got it like i said to a two-point game and then kind of fell apart down the stretch but uh it was it was late in the second half probably you know four three or four maybe five minutes to go and k just kind of runs some iso and throws the ball up takes a shot and it hits the bottom of the rim you remember what you remember that play yeah and i'm just like what like what are you doing dude like nobody else touched the ball in that possession and Kate is by far the best player on that team. You could argue he's the best player in the country, you know, whatever it might be. But, I mean, it's, it's a tournament game with five minutes to go or less than five minutes to go, and that's that's the best that you, you're going to get out of that possession. Uh, it was just frustrating. I don't even care. Like, I'm not – I don't have rooting interest in OU or Oklahoma State outside of the fact that, you know, they're in-state schools. But I was beyond frustrated watching that game. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and I don't even think that's necessarily an Oklahoma State thing. As you mentioned, that's just a college basketball thing. A lot of thing. teams, just, yeah, yeah, 100%. And, and we talked about it last week. Like, I, a lot of it, too, is just a lot of these teams don't have the time to build any chemistry. Right. Especially this year, you know, coming off of COVID where they didn't play last year. I don't believe that they really had a true, like, camp coming into the season. And then you're just kind of thrown into the season and, and – you play probably what, like 10 or 12 fewer games than you would a normal year. And then you're asked, you know, to go out in a tournament and win these do or die games. A lot of times you just don't know what to do because you don't know where your teammates are going to be necessarily every play like you would if, say, like 25 years ago when Duke, I mean, Christian Leitner and Grant Hill played three or four years together. Right. They know, I mean, they don't even have to think about it. They know exactly what the other guy's going to do. Right. These teams just don't have that luxury at this point in college basketball, which. Watch, actually watching some college basketball, I remember why that hurts the product. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, the bottom line is every game is a game seven, So, and, and we all have interest because we filled out brackets. So even if you're, you're watching, like, I don't know, like we're going to watch Oregon State Loyola, I'm willing to bet that 
99% of the people that are watching or listening to this did not watch Loyola or Oregon State one single time before the NCAA no, there's tournament. There's no chance. But, First of all, how do you even watch Loyola? I don't, yeah, know I don't even know. Like, yeah, you got to go find some weird pirated stream somewhere. Um, but like nobody's watched those teams, but then because you filled out a bracket and you have some sort of interest in the bracket, like you're paying attention to Loyola, Oregon state, like it's the national championship, right? Like, and, and you feel like in, in two short games, you're like, Oh, that, that kid's a great play. Like you feel like you some like are in on, you know, the storyline. Like it's, it's that, that's the magic of the NCAA tournament. It really is. And not to, uh, well, I know this is speaking of storylines. Oregon just plays one game and gets to the Sweet Sixteen. They, <laughs> yeah. they get an automatic win in the first round because uh, VCU, which is a team that's had tournament success, like they've made runs in the tournament. They just get a free win against them because you know VCU has COVID issues. Which I I don't even remember what did it ever get released. What actually happened? Because I remember the day of when the news broke that they were withholding the information. As to like why they actually like uh, forfeited the game, why the NCAA made VCU forfeit. Did you ever see anything? I think it was like contact tracing, and then they were trying to get everybody tested, and oh. like I think it just became one of those deals where like they didn't have enough time. They didn't have enough time. Yeah. Oh, now that's that could be wrong because that all that news was coming out as the tournament was going on, and I'd be lying if I said I was completely paying attention to what ha- was happening yeah, at VCU. Yeah. But right, I think that's the way that I I understood it. Yeah, I mean, I I read it when the news broke, and then I hadn't thought about it until now. But yeah, Oregon's in the Sweet Sixteen. They only played one game, albeit they did they dominated the two seed in Iowa. So yeah. you know that's that's you know. They didn't just walk in and beat a 15 in the second round or something like that. But, yeah. um, yeah. Did you have a favorite game from the first two rounds? Favorite game? Um, God, or a look, couple or any games that you think uh, of, uh, look at this bracket here. Try to remember. Uh, my, I love the Florida, um, Oh, are you game in the first round? Oh, Florida. Who did they play in the first Virginia round? tech? Oh yeah. Okay. With uh, Kenneth Mann hitting that that step back three yeah. with you know late in the game, like that was a fun one. I think that was a was that the first game of the tournament. Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, I think it was. Not including the stupid right. Playing games. Yeah, Those I don't count the playing count, games. In my opinion. Yeah. yeah, so to start the tournament off with a great game like that, um, that was fun. Um, I think. Uh, ORU. Both games, I think, have been fun. Yeah, um, been fun, yeah. What was the other? Oh, Loyola beating Illinois. Like, that entire game, I know Loyola pretty much controlled it the whole... But, I don't know. I always just felt like at some point, Illinois was going to make this... Like, they were... They were. Yeah. It always felt like they were a play or two away from, from, like, being right there. And every time it felt like they would make the play to, to start that momentum... Loyola seemingly had an ant. That was a really fun game to watch, and and it just felt like, for me at least, watching it, there was a lot of intensity there. Yeah. Um, let's see. I'm looking at it too. Uh, you know, if, if as long as you're not, you know, rooting for the Big Twelve of the conference, watching uh, USC destroy Kansas was fun. I've uh, <laughs> yeah. never been a big Kansas basketball fan. Um, let's see. Yeah, I was looking through the games as well. Um, 
Ooh, I, I'll say this. For the first time since in, in like 18 years, Syracuse is actually kind of fun to watch, in my opinion. Which is with Buddy Buckets. With Buddy Buckets, which is annoys me every time I Absolutely. hear it. Absolutely. As it should annoy anybody that lives in Oklahoma. Or and watches anybody sports. that's a college basketball fan. Like it's not like this guy pl- right. It's not exactly. like Buddy Hill yeah. played in the nineteen fifties. He played at OU like in the last decade. He went to a Final Four. He was a National Player of the Year. Like, this isn't some obscure guy that you're stealing the nickname from. And I I think that the fact that it's Jim Boeheim's son makes it more annoying. Yeah. Like, Dude, I I, I said this the other day. I kind of wanted to not like Buddy Boeheim. I don't know why. Like, maybe it's because he's the coach's son or like, I I don't... Jim Boeheim's son, yeah. Yeah, and he played... I I don't know. I don't know what it was, but I kind of wanted to not like him. And I've watched Syracuse, and I'm just like, I, I love his game. I just, he's fun. He's, yeah, like he's a really good three point shooter. He's probably, I don't, I, I'm not a basketball scout by any means, but he, you would think that he's gonna get a run in the NBA if he could shoot that well. He, but yeah, he's yeah, tall he's, and he can shoot. I, I don't know why you wouldn't yeah. grab him somewhere. I mean, yeah, and he plays on a Syracuse on Syracuse, who for always are like, uh, let's run a 2-3 zone on defense, and maybe we score 55 points and win this game. We're going to use up the entire shot clock. Just incredibly boring basketball to watch, in my opinion, and we're watching Buddy Beheim yeah. shoot 12 threes a game. So They, run the, they are the triple option team of college basketball. They are, yeah. Like, you, all of a sudden, people get into the tournament and face this team that runs this defense that nobody else runs, and teams, like are dumbfounded by how to attack it. It's it's crazy yeah, it's, to me. Yeah. Uh, oh, the Houston Rutgers game. Speaking of Syracuse, they play Houston this week. That, the Houston Rutgers game was fun. Yeah. Um, I think that Houston's probably got my rooting interest moving forward with, uh, you know, every team in the Big 12 being gone except for Baylor. I'm going to think I'm going to throw my throw all my cards in on, on Houston nice. and see what they can do. Yeah. Has there been – maybe I'm I'm just completely forgetting. There hasn't been a buzzer beater, though, has there? this tournament that's the only thing Not i think it's at, missing yeah i don't think so at the buzzer we talked about the free throws with you know right. one and a half seconds left uh that kenneth man shot in the florida virginia tech game was late in the game but there was still a couple of possessions right. after that um i think was it uh was it santa barbara maybe that that had the shot at the end to win it but it didn't go in uh, I'm not sure. I may have missed that game. But yeah, that's uh, they all, we don't have like the Bryce Drew or I no, mean, there's been yet. you know just that buzzer beater, you know, ball goes through the net as the horn sounds to win the game moment. Yeah, Ohio State had a couple of chances. I don't know necessarily like you said at the buzzer, but yeah, they had a couple of chances against Oral Roberts. But for whatever reason, I can't remember who it was. For whatever reason, the best shot they could get was an ISO step back three. Yeah. So. Like apparently, you know, James Harden plays for Ohio State. I tweeted that. But <laughs> yeah, there just hasn't been, not yet at least. There's still plenty of time, though. We can still get that buzzer beater. Yeah. And uh, look, Loyola is back in this thing. Sister Jean is at the tournament. Did you see her? Sister Jean with I, another I, appearance? I didn't. Sister Jean. I didn't, I didn't see her, I guess I. Is now maybe on the Mount Rushmore oh. of March Madness faces. Wait, okay. Was that. Three years ago that they beat Virginia? Two or three years ago, yeah. Yeah, maybe three. Okay. Yeah, because Virginia won two years ago. Yeah, oh, that's right, yeah. So it had, I think it was a year before. Yeah. Yeah, they, I think it was a year before because I think they went from, yeah, getting beat by the 16 to 
winning the national championship. Virginia's not even in the tournament, are they? Yeah, yeah, they get they got beat by. Uh, they didn't make it. No, they did. No, they did. They got beat by Ohio. 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 Yeah. Yeah, Virginia is the epitome of this team's either going to be really good <laughs> and beat a lot of teams or lose to the worst team in the tournament. Yeah. But I mean, what do you expect? You score fifty points a game, right? Pretty, you know, susceptible to being beat by bad teams. Oh, it's been fun though. I'm looking forward to uh, games picking back up Friday, right? Are they are they switching to the traditional Thursday? Saturday, I think. Saturday. What are we doing? Yeah. Are we playing all the games? On, what, what are we, so we're gonna get Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. Saturday. Yes. Why? Why not just play it on the? Why didn't we just do it Thursday, Friday, Saturday, I, Sunday like normal? Well, I, I'm assuming the whole like because it ended late on Monday, you have to figure out the new matchups. You have to figure out the new like venues and uh, probably because of COVID testing and everything else, everything just takes longer to like, kind of like reestablish bubbles is my guess. I, guess. I mean that I, 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 I don't, I haven't heard a reason for why, but that would be my guess is just kind of like reestablishing some sort of like I, bubble environment. I, mean, I would just for assume the next... I fine, fine. If round one, you wanted to start on Friday, I don't get why we're pushing it back a day on the second, on the, on the second weekend. Yeah. I don't know, but it doesn't matter. Yeah. It's just weird. NCAA stuff that just annoys me, but you know, chalk that up it, on the. It did feel weird. Like I, I don't know. It did feel weird not having those first two rounds on Thursday and Friday. Like having it on a weekend felt odd to me. I don't know why. Like yeah, it, it, not that like I was doing anything different yeah. Saturday from Friday to Saturday, but it just felt weird. I think as always, yeah. like you're supposed, you know, usually you're working on a Thursday and Friday those opening round games, so like it kind of feels like some sort of like holiday or special day because there are tournament games and you know, sometimes you take off work and just watch the games or what, I don't know. It just kind of, it had a completely different feel to it than normal. Not that it's bad. Well, it's just different. Well, yeah. And now well, exactly. You want, you want those for the two days of the first round to be on the work days because you're like, well, it's first round games. Like there's so many games on yeah. all day that I'm still going to be able to watch like four or five games on Thursday night. And then on Friday evening, the same thing. And then, you know, Saturday, Sunday, you get the second round games and, you know, it starts to pick up the intensity. And then now you're going to get elite eight games on Monday and Tuesday. Yeah, it's going to be weird. What does what does that mean for the final four and the, and the national championship? Are we going to finally have a national championship not played on a Monday night for the first time? Oh, that no, I can remember. They'll, they'll do the final four on, on a Wednesday and then do the national championship game the following, the following Monday, Monday or something. Yeah, probably. yeah they're so committed yeah. to that Monday night thing. It's, I don't, I guess, I mean, they, they college football, they do it in college football too, yeah. right? They play on Monday nights. Mm-hmm. I don't get that. Why just play them? I mean, you know, I guess college football, I get it. Cause the NFL is on Sunday, but there's literally no reason. Like what CBS isn't going to let you preempt the CSI Los Angeles episode on Sunday. Hey, we're only like three years away from there being a CSI Oklahoma city. Cause I think they've, they've hit every they're city in America. So they're going to be here soon. Yeah, I, I don't know. Is is Monday the most like um, the biggest you gotta, you television gotcha. viewing day because everybody's like staying home from the weekend? I don't I don't know what the answer would be. I I mean, yeah, maybe, maybe. I mean, Monday night football, obviously, like they picked Monday night yeah. for the what used to be the game of the week, like the biggest game of the week. Now it's kind of you know, more of a Sunday night thing. But yeah, national championship game in college and uh, football and basketball on Monday. Yeah, maybe so. 
a night that you can almost guarantee most people will be at home yeah. during the week. I don't know. Play it on Saturday. Who cares? Like, yeah. People will watch it if they want to watch it. Right. So I know you said you weren't uh, you weren't watching much of the NBA or you've had a hard time getting into the NBA. Um, your Houston Rockets were uh, one game away from history, Aaron. They almost set the record for the longest losing streak in NBA history. Instead, they're tied for it. That, that's how you tank. Yeah, that Same is how you tank. Take notes. That's how you tank. Yeah. If you want to if you want to end up with Cade Cunningham, that's the way to do it. Uh NBA trade deadline is tomorrow. Yeah, it's uh I I I want to say it snuck up on us, but it's kind of at the same time that it normally would be, right? Like, well, I guess it would probably be about a month ago in normal season, probably yeah. the end of February, but yeah, um you know, Apparently, people are uh, finding out that Victor Oladipo's market isn't as high as he, they thought it was. And I'm just like, well, based on what? Like, did you think that Victor Oladipo was, like, an all-NBA talent that teams are, like, desperate to trade, you know, multiple first-round picks for? Yeah. So, there's that. Um, I don't I don't know. I'm, uh, I'm interested to see what happens. I don't think that it's going to be super active, though. I just don't feel like... I feel like the teams that are really pushing have made deals already. Like Brooklyn, like I cannot imagine Brooklyn makes a trade at this point after you know trading for Harden and bringing Blake Griffin. And maybe they, yeah. I mean, if they do anything, it's probably on the buyout market. They probably get like a JaVale McGee type player center, rim protector on a buyout market. I don't see them doing it. Maybe Philly does something, but even with Embiid being out, they've still been really good. Yeah. I don't know if they want to break up that core, and you know JJ Redick's getting bought out, so he'll probably just end up back in Philly. Oh, is he really? Uh, it's, yeah, that was the that. report yesterday that New Orleans was going to buy him out. Oh, I which, completely missed that. I mean, he has, he he really hasn't played that much this year, as far as I, uh, at least when I last checked a few weeks ago, he really hadn't been playing. Um, I bet so. he'll end up in Milwaukee. That's my yeah. That's Milwaukee's my guess. a good spot too. Yeah. yeah. They need a shooter. It makes sense. He wants to win a championship. Um, he could go to the Nets, but they kind of already have that guy with Joe Harris. Joe Harris, yeah, he just wouldn't. He wouldn't find the floor. Joe Harris is probably a better shooter right now than JJ Redick is. So, yeah, I think Milwaukee makes a ton of sense. Uh, I I could absolutely see that. Um, I'm I'm like halfway expecting that somebody like Demar Derozan gets bought out, and then he ends up with the Nets on a league minimum. <laughs> like. You think so? San Antonio's in the playoffs right now. Like they're, they've been. There's a lot of DeRozan rumors out there that uh, they're shopping him. Hmm. I don't know. That's I just surprising because then they they did something with Aldridge earlier in the year, right? Are they were trying to? I, I, there was a conversation hearing, about them buying him out. Uh, but I didn't want to, but Aldridge wanted out or something like yeah. that. But I I think that he's uh, still there. And they're having conversations about whether to buy him out or if they could get any. I think at this point, if they get anything for him, they'll just move him. But right, yeah. I, I mean, if Houston, you'd imagine Houston's probably really trying to trade Oladipo because, I mean, there's so, obviously they're so bad. They lost twenty games in a row. Right, but it, it, Oladipo's not. I don't. To me, he's not a guy for the future if you're Houston like I think Oladipo is a good second guy maybe a third guy on a really good team that already has two like all NBA all-star t- caliber players but 
pure Houston. Like I don't, I just don't see the reason to give him big money and sign him to a long-term deal after this year. Why not find somebody that can give you something for him? And while his market's probably not going to be as high as Houston was hoping, but I think you could probably send him to like a, a Dallas or maybe a San Antonio. If San Antonio buys out DeMar DeRozan, maybe they're willing to, you know, do something with Oladipo to bring him in to fill the, that, that role that DeRozan plays. Um, maybe the Knicks. I mean, the Knicks are, you know, playing in the, you know, fighting for playoff spots in the East. Maybe they do something. Yeah. Um, Oladipo is, it's interesting. There's kind of this wave of players in the NBA right now that are, are a lot like Victor Oladipo where, the numbers are really good, right? They're going to average 20-plus, mm-hmm. like 5-5. Five and five. They're, The numbers across the board are going to look really good. But you're doing that on bad teams. And and for Victor Oladipo, I don't know that he's the one or two guy on a good team. Like, if he's your your best or second-best player, I don't think you're t- we're talking about a playoff-caliber team. And then, B, I don't think he's a guy on a good team that plays with the starters. I think on a good team... His role is come off the bench and get you and get points when your starters are taking a break. So, um, I, I think he's incredibly talented and really skilled, and there is a place for him on a good team. I just don't know that it's, hey, he's the missing piece as far as like, you know, the the like one, two, or three guys are the foundational pieces. Uh, just because again, he has to have the ball in his hands, and I don't think when the ball's in his hands, he's making the other guys better. Yeah, I mean, he went from. And he, not to mention, he's got a long, long list of like serious injuries that he's suffered yeah. um, over the past few years. Yeah, he went from being the guy in Indiana a few years ago and being an all-star to being, you know, expendable by Indiana to, you know, Indiana looking at it and say, we'd rather have Karis LeVert than Victor Oladipo. You know, TJ Warren and Malcolm Brogdon have uh, Sabonis surpassed Oladipo on the pecking order in Indiana, so... Yeah, I think that he. I mean, Old Debo's. He's he's, he's a, a tough player. player to get. He's a good player, and he's a tough player to get like an accurate read on because he's been so up and down. Yeah. When it comes to his value in the NBA, like going from being a top five pick or whatever it was in Orlando, to kind of just being a little bit disappointing. He comes to Oklahoma City, and everybody's like, "Oh, this dude's got a lot of potential." Obviously, goes to Indiana is great, and he's falling. His stock's falling back down. So, who knows? He could go somewhere and pick it back up. He just feels like a guy that, that can go get his on any given night. It's just He can. He can score, He can yeah. go get his. It's just it doesn't really – like his game doesn't really have a massive impact, I think, on the guys around him. Maybe that's the best He's way to say He's kind of like it. an Andrew Wiggins. Yeah. Yeah, good offensive player that can go score, but yeah. like it's not really going to, you know – It's not the difference in you winning. It's a team success. Yeah. 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 Okay. All right. Now hear me out. So – Let's say San Antonio does buy out DeMar DeRozan. He's on the last year of his deal, obviously. If you're Oklahoma City, and he's there on the buyout market, do you make an offer to DeMar DeRozan and just kind of say, you know what, screw it. We've already played ourselves out of a top five pick, most likely. Hell, if we land in the top five, Or Houston gets in the top four, so if we're outside of the top. No, we get okay. Out of a top five pick, probably at this point. Ten teams get in the playoffs from each conference this year. 
do you kind of just say, hey, let's throw some money to Rosen and just see if we can win some playoff games? Like make it into the second round, see what we can do. Maybe, you know, bring in DeMar DeRozan, get help these younger guys. Like, is there any scenario where you can talk yourself into Oklahoma City throwing money at DeMar DeRozan on the buyout market? They are two and a half games behind the number 10 team right now. Uh, you're probably right about the pick. I mean, they'd have to get lucky in the lottery. Um, let's see. There are currently, there are three, four, five, six, seven, eight teams with worse records than the Oklahoma City Thunder. So, I mean, if the lottery balls just fell the way they're supposed to, the Thunder would have the ninth pick in the NBA draft. Houston, they're probably not getting the Houston pick. Right. Like I tr- tried to so, you know, uh, elegantly – uh, articulate a few minutes ago. Yeah. Houston is probably getting their pick because they're gonna, probably going to end up in the top four, right. which is where the pick is protected. They would need some. So they Oklahoma, would need some lottery luck. Yeah. Yeah. Which. Well, I mean. <laughs> yeah. Is why not? I. You know what? I'm with it. You probably missed your chance to tank, uh, the way that you needed to yeah. tank this year. So. Yeah. And it, it, this was the perfect year to do it because there's nobody in the building anyway. Like Right, who cares? If you're going to if you're going to completely sacrifice a season, do it in a year where you're not selling tickets regardless. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, And then you get and then you get Cade, you get the <laughs> Oklahoma State kid in yeah. next year and the fans start coming back and people are excited and but now best case scenario, you what you get like the 7th pick probably if they like if they actually start trending in the right direction and losing some games, like you might play yourself into like, you know what? You've convinced me go for it. Like, why not? What do you have to lose? I mean, I don't, I don't see their position in the standings drastically changing compared to how bad the teams below them are. So yeah, why not? Like, and here's the other thing. It's just one more like, Hey, remember when the Thunder had DeMar DeRozan kind of like the Carmelo thing or like, yeah, why not? Let just do it. I'm in. They don't have to give up anything for them right. other than some money. They don't give up any any young players, any draft assets, nothing. This is to get them off the This is market. all the hypothetical if he were to be bought out. Yeah. Right. Correct. Yeah. I can't imagine that. And a lot of it too is I would imagine if Demar Derozan is bought out, there's probably going to be some suitors that are you know better teams that you know oh, yeah. maybe have a better chance of winning that he would choose over Oklahoma City. But if you're Oklahoma City. I just don't see what you have to lose other than the fact that you may, it makes it tougher for you to actually lose games by trying to bring DeRozan in. But I mean, who, who knows? He could help out Shea. Like it could be beneficial just to keep him around for a couple months. Yeah. I'd take it. Yeah. Let me ask you this. If, if that were to happen and again, I I don't think he's getting bought out. He's, they're going to get something for him. Yeah, for sure. But if he were to get bought out, who does he help the most? Because um, I was thinking of like I, teams that that are contenders, and like I think he bogs down Philly in that offense. I think he bogs down Milwaukee in that offense. Like I'm not saying he's not a yeah, good player. I'm just saying like he just can't shoot. Matching his skill set with what these teams already have, uh, I, I it just doesn't seem like a good fit. So where where does he yeah. fit that you think? Portland maybe. Yeah, I mean. His skill set is just his skill set's about twenty years too late. Um, you know he just he 
he's never developed a three-point shot, a consistent three-point shot. He's always played, you know, kind of, you know, from the basket to about what, like 20 feet is where his game is. He's not a top-tier defender. Uh, are we talking like real contenders or just kind of like playoff teams that he could help? Because, I mean, he could go to New York and help the Knicks. Yeah, he could go. I mean- a team that you think would have a chance to make a run at the at at a conference finals. Right. New York doesn't. So any of those teams, I think that he's probably going going in there. He's probably going to be a six man. He's he's going to be a guy that comes off the bench and maybe you can run the offense through him through you know in spurts. Yeah, uh, and get him ten to you know thirteen, fourteen shots a game. I like Portland him in Portland actually because you have the two guards Portland, that shoot yeah. in the backcourt already. So. Yeah, and you know that would give them an option where they could potentially sit McCollum and Lillard, or if one of them's hurt, it gives yeah. them a little bit more flexibility. Uh, it gives them a bench scorer, which right now I don't think they really have a guy coming off the bench that can kind of take over the offense for you know three or four minutes in a game. Um, but he's not going to go to the Lakers. The Lakers need shooting. Um, The Clippers don't really. I I don't know. I need to look. I be honest with you. I need to see is what Lou Williams has done this year. Like to see if he's still, you know, yeah, viable I, I as a about the Clippers, guy. Actually, that would make sense to me too. Brooklyn, no, no chance he goes to Brooklyn. He's not going to go to Philadelphia. Maybe it, and I agree he does bog down Milwaukee. But maybe Milwaukee kind of views him as just a guy off the bench. But yeah. I don't, yeah, I don't know. That's tough because you can't play. I don't see how you play him and Giannis at the same time because exactly, neither yeah. of them can do anything outside of twenty feet. Well, it just uh, having him on the floor with Giannis makes Giannis's job even harder. Oh right, yeah, exactly. Yeah, because just, he's just you're gonna yeah. That's why I think like it's crazy because I, I think if you just look at the players like JJ Redick for example, if you ask me like who's the better player, JJ Redick or Demar Derozan, the answer is obviously Demar Derozan. But if I'm Milwaukee right. and I had my choice between those two guys, I'm obviously taking JJ Redick because of what right. I mean, you his have... skill set means for your yeah. best player. His skill set yeah. makes life considerably easier for Giannis. Did I lose you? No, you like froze there. Oh. No, no, you just like froze. Okay. I thought oh, okay. Um, yeah, I agree. Like JJ Redick does make the team better because of the skill set. And Giannis really, if you think about it, Giannis is a, a better version of like 2009 Dwight Howard. Like he's a guy that needs to play around the rim where he's most effective around the rim. And you want to build a team with shooters around him because it's going to open up space for Giannis in the paint to do his thing. Like he's not as much as people want him to be a three point shooter. He's just not like, he's not going to develop a three point shot. He would have done it by now. I, you know, to the point where he can be effectively, you know, a shooter. And you just want to, you want to space the floor around him as much as yeah. possible and get shooters. So JJ makes sense. Well, um, and, and the other thing is unlike Dwight though, you know, Orlando played an inside out game. Giannis needs to get points around the basket, but he does it by penetrating from right. the top of the key on most possessions. It's not a, a post up, you know, inside out game. Yeah. It's so, so space I think is even more important from that regard yeah. because he needs space to operate to even get the ball down to that point. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's, yeah, that's a good point. You need, yeah, he needs a lane to get to the basket. Yeah. Unlike, you know, Dwight who would just back his ass up and yeah. post, up, post on up on the, the block on the and then, yeah. catch an alley-oop. Right. Um, 
maybe Atlanta. Atlanta might could make sense. Um, they've played themselves up to the last I checked a couple of days ago. They were at the four seed in the East, which in the East is terrible. They're, they're yeah. not really saying much I, I, out of I, the four, but I don't think they're contenders though. Um, they're no, yeah, I don't think I mean, they're contenders the, either. I mean, that's like the Knicks thing. The Knicks are in the playoffs, but I, I don't think any of us legitimately expect that they'll be in the conference finals. Right. Yeah, I mean, if Atlanta, especially with Atlanta at the four seed, you're going to run into Philly or Brooklyn in the second round. I mean, it, it and the East is really just shaping up. It's going to be Philly or Brooklyn, Philly and Brooklyn in the Eastern Conference Finals. So, take a lot of teams out of the East for DeRozan if you really want to add them to a contender. I think Milwaukee could beat Philly in a postseason. And look, Miami's yeah. starting to surge as well. So, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, Miami's getting healthy. My he doesn't. Fit, I, I don't see him fitting in Miami though, no. because what's the difference between him and Jimmy Butler? Yeah, Jimmy Butler is just a better version of Demar Derozan. Yeah, agreed. Um, maybe Dallas, but Dallas needs shooting as well. Like their three point shooting is so bad. Bringing in a guy like Derozan doesn't really help their three point shooting at all. I, you know what? I actually like I, Phoenix. honestly, yeah. They could use a bench. They could use a guy off the bench, or you could go super small and play him at the three. But uh, I don't know what that necessarily does with Bridges. Um, you know, they Phoenix just has so many young players. Yeah. That I don't know. Do you want to bring DeRozan in and potentially like slow down their progress for the young guys because they're winning and they're winning. Yeah. I don't know. Phoenix is he makes sense in Phoenix just because. They could use, you know, another score, especially off the bench, and like some veteran presence beyond Chris Paul. But I don't know. I I think that kind of that I might mess up the uh, Phoenix could use a guy that can just go get you a bucket, and I think that's that's what yes. he does, right? Like he can just go get you a bucket. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's averaging twenty a game right now for San Antonio. I don't, I honestly I don't know why San Antonio would buy him out. Like you said, there's yeah. probably going to be some suitors for a trade, but. I mean, if you can't trade him, I just don't. I don't see the reason for San Antonio not to just keep him on the roster for the rest of the year. Yeah, like like I said, a buyout scenario for Demar Rosen to me is a, like far fetched. No, yeah, no chance type thing. This is all hypothetical, but yeah. Um, because when you start talking trades, then you have to bring in the, you know, what trades actually work and all that. So, for the sake of that argument, yeah, he's he's free to go where he wants. Um, I'm, I'm halfway expecting the Nets to make one more move that brings in a former all-star though. Yeah, I did just, they need a rim protector. We've clearly established and has been established by a lot of people. They need a rim protector. It's pretty much the only hole they have in their roster. Andre Drummond, I know Andre Drummond was talked about quite a bit before they signed Blake Griffin, but now they signed Blake Griffin. I don't know. I just don't know that they're going to bring in Drummond, too. They might. I mean, they bring in Drummond. If they've got a potential starting lineup of Harden, Irving, KD, I mean, Joe Harris, I guess, if he's starting, whoever you want to start at that fourth guy, and then Andre Drummond, I mean, they're going to be pretty impossible to beat because yeah. Drummond gives them that rebounding and rim protection that they that they need right now. Montrose Harrell has been floated around potentially being oh, moved, okay. but I don't know. I, would the Lakers give him to Brooklyn, their biggest competition? That's tough. Yeah, yeah I wouldn't do that. I'd rather mm. the guy sit at home and not play than go play for the team that I right. think is the biggest threat. Um, 
if Indiana's trying to tear this whole thing down, go get Miles Turner. Yeah, good rim protector. He can shoot the three. Uh, yeah, I mean, Miles Turner has been a guy that he's obviously had a lot of uh, a lot of potential and like high expectations since he you know came out of Texas, but hasn't really lived up to where people put their expectations. But he's still, I think he's a good player. He like is a his good game. player. Yeah, he, he he plays a very ideal 2021 NBA style of basketball with the brim protection on defense and the floor spacing on offense. So he's, he would be a great fit for a lot of teams. I agree. Yeah. He's just not a star. Um, like, and that's, there's nothing wrong with that. Like, a good, yeah, right. He's, he's a good player. I, and, and look, I don't think you need a guy in that position in today's NBA to be a star. Anyway, you need the guy yeah, at that I, position to play the role that miles Turner plays. And that's block shots, stretch the floor for your perimeter oriented stars. And I think it'd be a brilliant pickup. Yeah. Hell, you don't even need them to space the floor. Just catch an alley-oop. Yeah, if they too. can catch an alley-oop and block shots yeah. and get you know three offensive rebounds a game, then you have you are set at the center position in today's NBA. Yeah, you just don't want them to you know, be hobbling down the floor. Yeah, they just need to be able to run. Be able to run and do whatever they do. Like a Steven Adams. Yeah. You don't need more than what Steven Adams offers you in, on most teams at the center position. Yeah, if you're a, if you're a talented team, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if you suck and then Stephen Adams, yeah, if you're New Orleans, Stephen Adams isn't really going to bring a lot right. to your what you can do every night, especially if you've got Zion and you know, yeah. there's not enough floor space for Zion and Stephen. By the way, could you imagine playing against them and you know being a, a power forward or a center and just be like, oh my god, I'm how am I going to move either of these guys at any point during this game? Dude, I was actually speaking of Zion, I was laughing about this yesterday. I was I was driving in the car and I was listening to. Uh, the Zion uh, interview on the JJ Reddick podcast. And I was like, just, I, I just like started thinking about this. I just started laughing in, in the truck. Remember when the draft rolled around and people like literally started trying to create reasons for why you wouldn't take Zion number one overall. No, I don't remember them doing that, but I mean, people do it. Obviously it happens every oh, year. Yeah. There were probably people that tried to say, you know, you should that whoever should take Carmelo over LeBron or whatever, or Darko over LeBron. I'm sure there were people out there, but yeah, well, I, mean, I remember crazy. like Zion. leading up to that draft, it was like there there were people that were trying to say, well, he only dunks, you know, like it's he, he his, he's not well rounded, he's not a well rounded basketball player, and then there was the body comments, like he's you know he he he's not in shape and. Uh, he, you know, he could be an injury prone type of, of player, uh, because I mean, it's bad body comments, but okay. I'm, okay, I'm frustrated right now. If you said that first off, if you watch any Zion, just watch his highlights. He clearly does way more than dunk. He's clearly, it's supremely skilled in the post. And we've seen that, you know, through his NBA short NBA career so far that he can, he can play in the post. He does dunk really well. And if you've just watched YouTube highlights, of him dunking, then you're going to say he's, he can only dunk because he does that really well. So there's a lot of highlights of him doing that. But also, saying he's out of shape, who cares? He hasn't played in the NBA yet. He has, he doesn't have a nutritionist and like a personal trainer getting him into shape. Like I think that not being in shape going into any draft is it could it's a, it could probably be a little concerned. But why don't we be concerned if they're not in shape after they've been in the NBA for a year? Because I don't think – is anybody saying he's out of shape now? I do remember the the uh, 
the picture of him sitting on the on the bench and I think it was like a preseason game where he looked super fat yeah. and just like real bloated and everybody yeah. like uh, like it was like po boy or like all that eating too many po boys or whatever that was good stuff but I think he's recovered just fine yeah I don't know if he's at this point reached where we had our expectations for him he's had some good games yeah he was an all star. Yeah, well, exactly. Yeah. But there's still people, though, that were like, I think it's just because his, his, this level of expectations that we had for him, even just coming out of high school, were so high yeah. that, you know, he may never reach them. Like, he might be a 10-time All-Star, and people will still say, well, his career was kind of a letdown. Like, he should have been the next LeBron James. Yeah. Yeah, look, I, I mean, I don't know that he'll ever be LeBron James, and he may never be the best player in the NBA, but he's one of the best players in the NBA. Uh, like, sure. yeah. I mean, there's there's a handful of players, you know, Jordan, Kobe, LeBron. Like, those guys are few and far between. So, any expectation that he's going to come in and, like, be the best player in the NBA for a decade, I think is, you just have your head up your ass, and it's a stupid conversation. But, like, right. the expectation should be that he is among the best players in the league. And it's he's played a total of, I think they said on the podcast yesterday, he's played, like, 50-something total NBA games. 50-something. Yeah, still. And he's he played, this good already. He, yeah. He's barely played more than half of one season. Right. Normal season, obviously. But, yeah, it's... I, and his skill set doesn't necessarily translate to him being... Like he just he he'll never be the best player in the NBA with the way basketball is played today, just because he can't shoot. He can't shoot the three like at a high clip, yeah. and like he needs well, to. Well, he doesn't like, dominate be the, the best basketball. player. Like true, yeah, yeah. It just doesn't. It's hard to be the best player in the NBA when you, like you said, don't dominate the basketball. Even Giannis, who skill set isn't too different from what Zion can do, because he brings the ball up so much. He has the ball in his hands so much. It allows him to be right. the best player in the NBA, arguably for some people, if you know, based on MVP, I don't think he's ever been the best player in the NBA, but yeah, yeah. it's, it's tough. It's going to be tough for Zion to even win MVPs because he just doesn't have the ball in his hands as much as, you know, other guys do. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it goes back to what we just talked about with miles Turner in the post positions these days. Like, what you need out of those guys is completely different than maybe it was 10, 20 years ago. No, if Zion, if Zion if it was exactly the same, same body, same skill set, and he came to the NBA in 2000, I mean, he, you, there would be a legit, you could really argue that he's the best player in the NBA after 50 games, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Just completely different uh, game, completely different focus uh, on on the way the game was played. But yeah, it just, I, I was just, I was so amused thinking about like all those, all those like, Hey, let's, let's uh, figure out what to say negative about Zion. Why maybe you shouldn't take him number one. And, and you're right. We do this with every draft and you know, every few years in all the drafts, there's, there's a guy that clearly is the number one pick without even having a conversation about it. And it never fails. We're doing it right now with Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, I mean, uh, Zach Wilson is clearly a better quarterback, according to Chris Sims, than Trevor Lawrence. So, yeah, I mean, it's and that's not to say like I, there are diff there are two different conversations. I think you it's completely fair to point out areas where they can be better because Trevor Lawrence isn't a perfect quarterback. There are things he can do better, but like 
the difference is trying to talk you out of saying he's the best player available or the guy that you should take at number one because of these things, I think, is is where it gets ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's – and these, sorry, excuse me, these guys too, and it's, it's so silly because these guys have been essentially like sharpied into the number one pick since they came out of high school, yeah. like we're talking about Zion and Trevor, Trevor Lawrence, all this stuff. And then what we get, it's like so many people get cold feet at the last second and start saying, well, I don't know. I don't think he should go number one. Just like why you have three years of him being the number one pick. Yeah. Why now? Nothing has changed. If anything, all they've done is just, you know, backed up, you know, the notion, the idea that they should be the top pick, but you got to find fault. I don't know. Maybe it's just because we talk sports too much you know, in the business now that you have nothing to do but nitpick and try and yeah. find an argument to go against something. But sometimes there's just no argument. There's no argument for that guy not being number one. Like, what, you're going to take R.J. Barrett over Zion in the first pick? Yeah. As good as R.J. Barrett was in college and can be as a pro, like, there's no argument for taking him over Zion with the first pick. Yeah. I don't, who went – did R.J. Yeah, who went two in that draft? RJ uh RJ went three, right? I think it was Zion, John Morant, and then RJ, right? John Morant, that's right. Yeah. Or was John it Morant the, was, was, it, was two. Yeah. I think that was, that's Yeah, John Morant was two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. RJ Bay went three and then yeah. John Morant, maybe there's an argument now that he sure. could have gone number yeah. one over Zion. But in going into the draft, there wasn't much of an argument. Like John Morant who I loved, I like Same. was a huge fan of him Same. in college, especially in the tournament. I just, there was no argument because Zion was a sure thing. Right. Zion's floor was NBA all-star. Like that's the thing. Like right. for the people that yeah. want to talk about the expectations and him being LeBron, that's the ceiling. But the thing about Zion that's great is the floor was always NBA all-star. Yeah. And in just because you know, of the John physicality. Morant ceiling, Exactly. And, and John Morant ceiling is MVP now because we've seen that he can play in the NBA and just the way the game is played now. He's a point guard who dominates the ball, who's dynamic on offense in multiple uh, multiple aspects. The, his ceiling is higher than Zion's, but I agree. His floor going to the draft was decent starter, I guess, maybe. Yeah. Like, just a, another good NBA player. Zion's, like you said, Not a great all-star. shooter. Extremely athletic, and you know we'll see how yeah. that translates against better competition. But yeah, Zion was was always going to be, if nothing else, a guy that just simply on on offensive rebounds and transition buckets was going to be a you know like a twenty ten guy. Yeah. Can you, oh man, I can I'm I cannot wait for his free agency summer because there's no way he, I cannot imagine a world where he returns to new Orleans. You don't think so? After his rookie deals up there's, I, I don't think so just from a marketing standpoint, what's he going to, and I know that the NBA is at a point right now where there's no real like quote unquote small markets, but new Orleans is, I would imagine new Orleans is probably one of the worst markets to play in. Um, by that point, you're going to have a good idea of, if this is a team you can win with, like is Brandon Ingram and you know, the other young guys that they've, they've, they have, are they guys that you can win with? Lonzo ball might be traded this, you know, tomorrow, who knows? Yeah. Or today, uh, they're not going to spend money. Yeah. I can't, 
I, they would spend money on Zion, but I don't know that they would spend money to build a winning team around. Yeah, I just I can't imagine that he goes back to New Orleans. Like, if LeBron's out of LA and you can go to the Lakers, you're not going to get a super. It's going to screw up your super max down the road if everything stays the same in the CBA. But yeah, I can't I can't imagine Zion staying in New Orleans. Can you like you could you you imagine a scenario where he stays in New Orleans? I I really do like the the Zion Brandon Ingram combination. I think they're missing that ball dominant guy to kind of bring it all together um, consistently. And look again, Zion's only played fifty something games in the NBA, so it's you know there's still a long way to go before we realize how good he's going to be and how good that yeah. team is going to be with him as the best player. So. I mean, who knows? He could have already plateaued. Like, he could have peaked already, yeah. as far as we know. I don't think that's the case. I think there's still... Like, I think he's going to have a better feel for how to dominate games as opposed to just getting your numbers. Uh, and sure. that'll result in wins as opposed to, you know, average record with, with good numbers. But, yeah, I think that... Uh, I don't know. I think there's a chance. I, I We just don't see very many... The, the, the money part of this is so drastic on that first deal to stay where you are that generally I think it's the it, second time around that we see guys move. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. Cause down the, the, if you, you get the bonuses or whatever, right. like the uh, super max bonuses for re-signing with the team that you were drafted by and all that stuff. So there, and I think that's a great move by the NBA and the C and the players union and all that stuff to work that into the CBA to incentivize players to stay with the teams they were drafted yeah. by. Cause it does, it, does increase the odds of Zion staying in New Orleans, but I just, I don't know. I mean, they're going to have a couple of years to prove to him that they, they're building something there. But so far, I mean, I I didn't expect them to like be a you know contender or anything this year, but I thought they would be better than they are this year. Like, I expected a little bit more out of that team. I thought that they had some guys that could do something. Brandon Ingram was good last year. He was really good last year, actually. Yeah, they, um, I mean, they, they shouldn't have the same record as the Thunder. <laughs> no. No, they shouldn't. They, I mean, they've literally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They should be above the Thunder. Absolutely. There's no reason. Yeah. And the Thunder are at fault a little bit because they're playing out of their out of their minds as far as where they should be. But yeah, I don't know, man. It's the NBA change. The landscape of the NBA, and we've talked about this before, changes so dramatically year to year that I mean, who know? Who knows what the Celtics are going to look like? Who knows what these like big market teams that spend money are going to look like in two years? Yeah. You know, I mean, it's. There's a big free agency class next year, uh, with because a lot of guys last, you know, a lot of guys have been signing one and ones. That every other year you're going to get a big free agency class. So who knows? Think I mean, about the, how the NBA in three years. Think about this with that team. This is how poorly they're built. First of all, you have Zion, which is just a beast in the middle of the floor, and you have Stephen Adams paired in the same front court, which is just a bad. We just talked about bad match. You, there's not enough paint for those no, two guys. No, not even close. And then your two ball your two primary ball dominant players are Eric Bledsoe and Lonzo Ball. Who neither of them shoot the three very well. So no. I mean Lonzo's gotten better. He has gotten better at shooting the three, but they're not they're not reliable three point shooters that are gonna space the floor. Neither one of those they guys both play I think the same are game. It's really good offensive players. I mean, they're both good defenders, but Yeah. They're Yeah, I mean Bledsoe really just if he has to rely on his athleticism and it, you know, he's getting older and it, it's, it's diminished. I think Lonzo's a good facilitator. I think he's a good point guard, 
but I mean, is that really important in today's NBA? Yeah, not as much. Not as much you're, yeah, because you're a lot running the that. offense through so many different people. Exactly. Um, the, Brandon Egram's the key. You're right. Brandon Egram is the key. If Brandon Egram continues to trend up, which he was an All Star last year. Yeah. And I, I believe he won Six Man of the Year. I don't, I, I don't remember for sure if he won Six Man of the Year last year, but he was really good. He kind of had that breakout year. It felt like, and. He seems like he's been in the NBA for half a decade, it feels like, <laughs> yeah. but he's still only, what, like 23? Yeah, he's really Like, young. he's still incredibly young. Yeah. Those, I mean, Zion and Ingham, like you said, I they like could be a good pair. Yeah. But. You got to move mean, on from Steven Adams. You're you got to have to lock down both of them. Yeah. Got to move on from Steven yeah, Adams. Just, and you got to yeah. find. The trade at the time didn't make sense to me. Yeah. Got to find a better point guard, a, a more. Uh, Point guard that's going to benefit Brandon Ingram and and Zion Williamson, and not that those guys. I mean, both those guys are averaging twenty five a game. I'm not saying you need a point guard that, uh, like, when the game is on the line, you need a point guard that's going to make getting buckets for Zion and Brandon Ingram easier. Are is New Orleans the only team in the? I'm trying to think of other teams. Are they the only team in the NBA where their two best players don't aren't ball dominant? They might be. Let's see. Let me pull up the standings just so I can look at the teams. Okay. As Billy, I'm, Ben Simmons, obviously. I mean, Brooklyn, all three. Their three best players are all highly efficient yeah. with the ball in their hands. All right, so Philly, ball-dominant stars. Uh, same for Brooklyn, Milwaukee, yes, Giannis and Drew Holiday. Atlanta, Trey Young. Uh, Miami, um, I mean, that's probably the... There's an argument there, yeah. Closest. Um, but Bam has the ball in his hands a lot. He does, yeah. And I would say Bam is probably their second or their potentially their best player. Yeah. I mean, I would Goran Dragic obviously has the ball in his hands the most when when everybody's right. healthy and they're they're doing their thing. Um let's see in the West, Utah, Donovan Mitchell and Mike Conley, Phoenix, Devin Booker and Chris Paul, the Clippers, Kawhi and Paul George. Uh, the Lakers, you can make that argument. I mean, it, well, no, LeBron. He has a ball in his hands a lot. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't know why I completely blanked on LeBron. Um, he, he, yeah. Denver. He did back I mean, off Murray and Jokic are both basically like facility. Yeah. Uh, Portland with Dame and CJ. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're Dallas with Luca. Oh, State with City. You, you, you want to go to the bad teams? Yeah, Oklahoma City with Shea. Um, Houston doesn't. I mean, do they have a good player? Do they have a best player? <laughs> I don't know. I get when John Wells healthy, you could probably argue he's yeah. one of their two best players. He's obviously gonna have the ball in his hands a lot. Oladipo with the same thing. He's gonna have the hand, his hands on the De'Aaron on Fox the ball for a lot. Sacramento. Orlando does. I mean, I guess Orlando maybe. Yeah, Orlando. I th- th- yeah, they would fit. But that's not a good comparison. I don't. You probably don't want to be compared to no, Orlando exactly. in any conversation. I mean, Cleveland basically has two point guards in the backcourt. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Sexton is definitely their best player. Uh, yeah, Toronto might be the- same thing. I mean, Van Vliet and Kyle Lowry. Yeah. The Bulls with Zach Levine. The Pacers with uh, Brogdon. Brogdon, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the Celtics' well, best player so. is Jason Tatum, but, I mean, their guards 
are still really good. Play- I mean, yeah, Jalen Brown's really good. Yeah. He, yeah, yeah. So if you're in a if you're in a room exclusively with the Orlando Magic, that's probably not the room you want to be in. Yeah, and it's not. I'm not. It's not a knock on Zion or Ingram. Obviously, like they're both really good players. That's but, just a terribly built yeah, team at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I did. This it feels completely thrown together. I just it doesn't feel like they really have a have a plan because it, especially in an NBA where twenty eight or twenty seven of the teams are essentially built the same way with the same idea in mind to you know analytics and shoot a lot of layups and threes and space the floor and block shots. New Orleans isn't that like they right. don't space the floor very well. And look, I think you can I, go I against what the trend is, but your bet your best players better be the best players in the in the NBA, right? Like LeBron and Anthony Davis won the title last year going against the grain, but those guys were two of the top five players in the NBA. Exactly. And yeah, it's, may, you know maybe Zion and Brandon Ingram can become that, but they're certainly not that now. Yeah, I mean it's you're. You're asking a lot for those two guys to become top two top five right. players, but yeah, it's and it's again, this is just another reason that I I don't see Zion staying in New Orleans because I think Zion needs to go. I think Zion can win titles, and I think he can be at that top tier of the league. But he needs he's gonna it's gonna take the right pairing. Like he needs to be with a hell. Like could you imagine John Morant and Zion together? That'd be sick. That'd be fun. Yeah. Yeah, he needs a yeah, he needs a, the right ball handling, ball dominant player to be paired with, but who knows? I mean, he was fat coming out of college, so who knows what'll yeah, happen. He's only a dunker. So Yeah. Yeah. I'm surprised he's even uh, had this much success already. That's sarcasm, by the way, for those of you that uh, fail to pick up on on that sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, um, let's uh, we'll we'll hit a bunch of NFL stuff next week. Um, obviously, the NCAA tournament next week as well. But uh, dude, I am uh, I'm getting draft fever, especially with so much uh, NFL free agency over the last week. Like it's it it's given us a little bit of clarity, maybe on the direction that some teams may go in the draft. So yeah, that'll be fun. Yeah, um, giant. You you think the Giants are getting a little bit? You're a little nervous about the Giants getting a little bit better, or is uh, did they change quarterbacks? Daniel Jones. <laughs> I was about to ask you, is Daniel Jones uh, a guy that gives you uh, no no worries? Oh, I thought maybe they had like gotten Russell Wilson and yeah, I, dude, they, I, I do like, I like what they've done. Years. That offense is nice, yeah. but it's still Daniel Jones throwing the ball. So yeah, that's true. And it's Daniel Jones is one of those guys where. I uh, I don't remember what what your takes were on him, but coming into the draft, I just didn't get it, man. Me neither. Like, yeah, just, and I remember Dave Gettleman just kind of like the sort of the so quote unquote reports coming out where he just fell in love with him at the Senior Bowl practice and was like, oh, yeah. we got to draft this guy because he looked yeah. really good at the Senior Bowl practice, and then they draft him at seven, and yeah. And then his rookie year, like he played, he was pretty like he was a lot better than I thought he would be. Like as many flaws as he had, yeah. he was a lot better. And then uh, year two was that's where it's at, man. <laughs> let down to say the least. Yeah, a lot of these guys again in the NFL. Um, look, you don't get to the NFL without having talent. So 
I'm not going to act like Daniel Jones isn't talented, but his talent doesn't supersede NFL defenses adjusting to his skill set and taking away what he likes to do and then him still being able to beat you. That's, I mean, that's the difference between the good guys and the guys that don't make it. All these guys are talented, but, you know, when, as soon as, I mean, we, we see this every year. There are always quarterbacks that have success for a few games. Sometimes it's more than a few games, but after teams start to adjust to you and figure out what you like to do and take it away, are you good enough to still be able to be effective? And I think the answer for him at this point is no. Yeah, I'm. I'm gonna. I'm gonna reserve kind of writing him off and calling him a bust right now because last year was pretty rough. Like Saquon goes down. What like second yeah. game of the year? Yeah. Um, he played one game with all of his receipt like starting receivers playing at the same time. For whatever reason, either Evan Ingram is not that good or as good as everybody wants him to be, or they just can't get him involved. They brought in Jason Garrett. Like it wasn't last year wasn't necessarily a recipe for him to succeed, but yeah. I agree. He's a year, this is going to be a big year for him because we've seen flashes of him being good or at least, you know, pretty good. And then we've seen flashes of him being the worst quarterback in the NFL potentially. Yeah. Yeah. I've, uh, I was, I didn't think he was a first round quarterback. So yeah, that division's wide open though. Yeah. Uh, no doubt. Just so depressing to me. Dallas is the only one with There's a quarterback. No reason like that a, Dallas shouldn't be easily the team to beat in that division, and yet they're not. It's ugh. Think about it. Think about it. You've got Dallas with Dak Prescott in a division where Jalen Hurts is starting, who has done nothing in the NFL. Yeah. Ryan Fitzpatrick or uh, Taylor Heineke or whatever his yeah. name is, and, and Daniel, Daniel Jones. Jones. And Dallas, if Dallas, yeah, I agree. If Dallas doesn't yeah. win that division next year. Well, and then just go down the the list of, you know, players that it's just it's crazy. It's like other, why, other yeah, all the yeah, other why, positions. Why why are you not better? And like now the win. scary I mean, part is like Washington has put together a great defense. Yeah, their defense is legit. I mean, they've got yeah studs defensively. Um, you know if. It, I don't even know how good you need Daniel Jones to be, but if he's marginally better with the playmakers that they have, if all those guys stay healthy, the Giants will improve. Philadelphia's kind of in the same boat that Dallas is. Like, they should be better than than what they are every week, but I, I kind of feel I like they're, they're going think... in the wrong direction. They're It kind of feels like a lot of their, their good players are at the end, and they're... While, while the Giants and Redskins may be going up, it kind of feels like the Eagles are going in the opposite direction. And the Cowboys just kind of are stagnant in the same, like, yeah, I think that, I think Philly is going to be probably, I think they'll probably be one of the five worst teams in the league next year. I think they'd be really bad. I agree. Uh, like you said, I mean, they're just, they're aging out. And I just, I don't think that Jalen hurts is a big enough difference maker that he can make up for the other 52 guys, not being that good. I don't think Jalen hurts is a, a, a good NFL quarterback. I think that you could, if you uh, are yeah. a good team where you don't need Jalen Hurts to win you games, I think he could be effective. Right. If you're like New Orleans or something, yeah. But he, I, I don't think he can be good on a team that stinks. No, I don't, I don't either. So, 
Yeah, I think Philadelphia's be terrible. And then you know, you said that you know, like you said, the Giants have good weapons on offense, but Dallas can match every position. Yeah. Like, there's no reason Dallas shouldn't be the team to beat in that division, and yet they're not. They're just well. That's what happens when we have Mike McCarthy yeah. as your head coach. Like, yeah. So gross. Yeah, I I, uh, I saw several mock drafts yesterday that had Kyle Pitts going in the teens, Aaron. So I am still holding out hope what? that Kyle Pitts is on the no board chance. at number ten. There is no chance he falls to the teens, dude. We just did this last no week. It's very possible. There's no chance. No chance. Somebody's going to grab him. I think. I, I think Somebody's Philly gonna is going to be the team that just pisses me off and takes Kyle Pitts at six. Probably. And ruins look, somebody. It, he's going. Kyle Pitts is going somewhere between five and and ten. Maybe yeah, ten he falls to Dallas. Ten. Yeah, maybe. But I can't. I like somebody between five and somebody between five and nine is going to take him. Whether it's Cincinnati, Philadelphia, or somebody trades. Cincinnati's got to protect Joe Burrow. The Eagles, I think, are the biggest threat. The Lions have Hawkinson. You're not. I, I don't think you're going to match Pitts and Hawkinson. No. Um, somebody might trade the in. The Panthers have to get a quarterback. Yeah. And then the Broncos, yeah. like, I, I think the Broncos have a lot of needs. Tight ends, but I don't think tight end is one of them. So, I mean, could they? I guess just say we're going to take the best player available, and that's Kyle Pitts. I guess they could, but. To me, there are just a bunch of it, other areas that they could address that make too much sense. And look, they could go quarterback. Like, if Trey Lance yeah, yeah, is still there, or Justin Fields slides, why not? Yeah, Carolina, Carolina's definitely going quarterback because I don't think they're going to trade for Deshaun Watson uh, at this point. Yeah. So I would imagine they probably, that ship has sailed. So um, maybe, well, I was going to say maybe Carolina moves up to four, but I can't imagine Atlanta gives their fourth pick and Justin Fields potentially or Zach Wilson to an in-division opponent. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it could happen, man. It's, it's, uh, I think Philly is the team to worry about unless somebody trades up. I think Philly would take them because they're not going to take a quarterback. Well, they need some we say that, but They need something. Yeah. Yeah. They need something around Jalen Hurts for sure, though, Look, especially if, if Zach Hurts is getting traded. If you're Philly, let me just throw this hypothetical out. If you're Philly, you have Jalen Hurts. He's he's a, a what second round pick. Um, so you, it's not like you have the first round money invested. But let's just let's just throw Justin Fields. Let's say Fields is available at six. Why not take Fields? Let those guys battle it out for the quarterback position. You know, iron sharpens iron. Yeah. Let the best one win. And here's the thing: in today's NFL. The market for the guy that loses that battle is going to be, I think, pretty significant. I, I, I agree. I think Fields. Well, first off, Philly has shown that they don't really know how to capitalize on a quarterback sitting on their bench that has some value. When they didn't trade Nick Foles after winning the Super Bowl, but yeah, I mean, if Justin Fields is there at six, I think you have to take him. If you're looking at Trey Lance or Mac Jones, and I think it makes it a little bit easier to not take a quarterback right there. But yeah, yeah if Justin Fields is there, I think you I think you have to take him. Yeah. Because there's no edge there's no edge rushers and there's no like especially if Sewell goes at five. I know, think that uh Slater and Vera Tucker, I think, are guys that could be top ten to top ten picks. Yeah. Because I mean, team, it, yeah, everybody 
they're both uh, they they can both play multiple positions too. Like that's the other thing. Like not yeah. only are they good at what they do, but you can you can move them around if you need to. Yeah, and we talked about this multiple times. Like I think it, the one pick is pretty locked in. As much as people want to make arguments for Trevor not going one, he's I think he's going one to Jacksonville. But after that, like it's a complete crapshoot what happens from two to thirty two in the first round how if you wanted to shrink it down two to ten even yeah it's a complete crapshoot on what goes in there i mean you've got freaking patrick certain showing up to his pro day looking like a linebacker playing cornerback and you've got freaking rondell moore right like being the freakiest athlete that's ever existed according to twitter yeah. bugsy bogues so yeah but yeah yeah i love this draft class by the way it's like there's there's not the top ten guys that you just you know every, like like you mentioned there's not like that solidified edge rush guy there's not that solidified uh, I don't even think corner like I I like uh, Sertan and Caleb Farley now has some some health issues that are concerning but like I don't I don't think that those guys are on that like can't miss level where there no. there have been some corners in the past. But like after you get past, you know the the quarterbacks. Like I I think uh, this draft from like five to ten, like you were talking about, to like fifty, sixty, seventy. Like the gap just isn't necessarily there for me. I think it's you're still getting really good value in the second and third rounds. Yeah, this this definitely feels like a draft where in five years we're going to be saying, oh man, I can't believe that guy fell to the second round or yeah. Just because it's so, like you said, there's just it's so hard to predict, and the talent gap is so minimal for the middle of the draft. But uh, I feel pretty confident saying that Kalen Mond is not going to be a Pro Bowler or you know All Pro or anything like that. So it's going to be a tough pill to swallow for Chris Sims when uh, Kalen Mond you know starts ten games in his career. He's going to get ten. Nah, mate. I mean, if he goes, you know, he'll probably go to like. It was a bad, I don't even know what a bad team is, Washington or something, and they might play him for 10 games over the next couple of years because they can't find a quarterback. But yeah, it's, maybe. I mean, who knows? Yeah. But he'll go to the Bears and do the same <laughs> thing Trubisky did for three years. It's, oh, man. Uh, you know what? Like, I, my fandom is completely up in the air right now, but I. I've always said that like I could be a Bears fan, but that's as somebody that's not a Bears fan. Yeah. And I think about it, I'm like, do I really want to be a Bears fan? Like they, they have no, they haven't had a quarterback in 30 years. You could argue like about Jim McMahon or whether or not like how good of a quarterback he was. So yeah, you could argue that they've never had a good quarterback. And then they go from Trubisky to Andy Dalton. <laughs> yeah. I think you should be a Bears like Russell, fan just because of that. Russell Wilson says, you know what? I'd, I'd play for the Bears. I, I like the Bears. I think they're, uh, you know, I'd play for them. And then they're like, well, we couldn't get them in, so we, we signed Andy Dalton. What team matches your personality? Uh, what's a team that never quite reaches their potential and complains a lot? <laughs> The Cowboys. The Cowboys. Guess I'm gonna be a Cowboys fan. Then. 
Oh yeah, and look, there's there's plenty to bitch about every year, man. It's perfect. Ah, oh, I can't be a Cowboys yeah. fan. It's too perfect. It's too perfect of a match. It is for my what I want out of a team. You need to. I feel like you need to be like Detroit or Cleveland. I can't do Detroit. Cleveland's too bandwagony. Yeah, Honestly, Arizona is pretty tempting right now. Oh, get yeah, on that bandwagon absolutely. when it's still there's still some room. Well, and they got two of your guys, right? Hopkins and JJ. Hopkins and Watt. Yeah, my two favorite players ever. Right, they played for Houston. Andre Johnson might be in the top three somewhere, but Hopkins and Watt are probably one and two. But yeah, 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 that makes sense. And they're not a, you know, it's not like I'm jumping on a super crowded fan base, but Arizona's tempting. They're for sure. They're going to be up there. And they have one of the top five most exciting players in the NFL. Yeah. Quarterbacking their Love team. Kyler Murray. Yep. Yeah. They're a good watch, man. I watched every game they played last year, and they were just thrilling every week. Yeah. Win or lose. Yeah. And yeah, there's, you would assume, they, you, there's no reason they shouldn't get better. Like they've, yeah, they're, they're good, man. They're, they're putting a, together a good team. I guess, uh, you know, this will be a good year for uh, everybody to find out if Kingsbury actually is a good NFL coach because there's no reason that they shouldn't win, you know, nine or ten games this year. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, they're. A, I think they're a contender. They should be. They should be, at least, yeah. Yeah. All right, buddy. Uh, out of time, so I got to run, but uh, we will catch up. We've got a draft this week. We'll figure out that, but... Uh, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll text you that info when I figure it out. Okay. All right, sounds good. All right, Aaron Davis on today's episode. That is it for this episode of the Colby Daniels Podcast, presented by Artisan Botanicals in Midwest City. Check out their line of natural medicine products, including Kratom, CBD, and Delta 8. They are dedicated to helping you live a better life. And if you are uneducated on these products or their benefits, don't hesitate to give them a call and ask questions. 405 405- 458-9699. Their goal is to help people and help the community around them. And that's one reason I'm, I'm so excited about our partnership uh, with Artisan Botanicals. So when you order online, by the way, 15% off abotanicalcompany.com. Use the discount code Colby Show Again, for 15% off when you order online, visit the website abotanicalcompany.com. Everybody have a great day. Stay safe. And I will see you tomorrow. Podcast is over.